your news, your entertainment, your business. We're on a mission from God. This is the Rich Rothman Show. Good afternoon, everybody. It's uh, 5 o'clock, straight up. And I'd like to welcome you to the Rich Rothman Show on 880 The Biz. That's where we're located, that's where we're at, and that's where you're listening. And you can catch us on iTunes. You can also catch us at um, 880thebiz.com, or you can go to the Rich Rothman Show, uh, our own website, and click on uh, podcast, and you can listen to us live right there if you're sitting in an office and you want to be on the uh, computer instead of being on a, on a, um, a regular radio. So welcome to the show. Gorgeous day today. God, is it beautiful outside. A little bit warm for me, though, I think. Like well, yeah, it was cooler. warm. It was warm, but, you know, we must be the only place in the country that's got great, great weather. Yeah. Because you look around, and i got to tell you, that I mean, it, we had a snowstorm in, in Vegas that's yesterday. That's global warming for you. That, yeah, it's, it's global warming right all over the Midwest because it's freezing up there, and they're getting blizzards. You know, I'm, I'm glad my son got home when he did because I don't know, I'm not so sure he would have gotten home the next day. Pretty snowy weather that they got. Very interesting day. Um, uh Good news, bad news. Bad news is that the uh, the body they found in Central Florida belongs to uh, Kaylee, and they did DNA testing, and uh, obviously she's been murdered, and that's really sad. I just hope they haven't blown the case to uh, get her mother if she's the one who did it. I know she's uh, entitled to being innocent until proven guilty, but I've got to tell you, she's acting so horribly as a mother, out partying when her daughter's been missing for weeks and months at the time. Uh, just, uh, you know, the world is so unfair i guess is the best way to describe it anyway so that that's sad uh to have that uh then we had of course governor blago um blagojevich from um uh the illinois uh, market place uh announced today that uh, he pledges uh, to fight 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 sort of like the you know the fight song from uh, football teams yeah, of course he says he did nothing wrong he did nothing wrong and his attorney said they might allege the fact that the uh uh the wiretapping uh, was illegal, even though the FBI did it through uh, the courts. So that's going to be interesting. And we're going to be talking about that uh, with uh, on, in the first half of the show. James Lasky has been on before, uh, who wrote a book, My Fall from Grace, City Hall to Prison Walls. Uh, of course, James Lasky um, was a, a clerk. He had the second highest job, city clerk in the city of Chicago. A very interesting guy. And when all this started coming down about... Uh, uh, well, Illinois, and then, of course, Chicago being the big city in Illinois that uh, I thought it would be fun to have Jim get back on the show and talk to us a little bit because he knows some of the players, and we're going to talk about that uh, with him at about 5.15. And, uh, and then at uh, the, the bottom of the hour, going into the last 25 minutes of the show or so, we're going to have uh, Peter Cohen back uh, out of the, uh, the Northeast. And Peter, of course, uh, of Peter Cohen and Associates. He's all over the news and radio, and he's on uh, every major blog, and you can catch him on Yahoo and AOL. And, um, of course, he has his ninth book coming out about uh, Boeing. We'll tell you about that uh, in, in a little bit. And uh, we'll be talking about the bailout, because Peter is very much the economist and, and writes a lot about where he thinks things should be going or not be going. And I know that he has some uh, very strong thoughts on the economy and uh, the the auto bailout, and to that point, and today is the day that we got an auto bailout. Uh, the the president approved a uh, seventeen point four bailout of the auto industry with a lot of ifs ands and buts and things like that. And we're going to discuss that 
uh, with Peter. So that'll be kind of interesting. So um, I'm glad you're here today. We'll try and entertain you a little bit for the next hour, not quite an hour. Uh, as you drive home, if you're on I-95, take your time. It's a beautiful day. If you're in the express lane, enjoy yourself. It's a lot of fun for a buck fifty at this time. If you're on US-1, why don't you stop off of, uh, in Coconut Grove or the Gables and go have some dinner or have a drink someplace and enjoy yourself. It's just beautiful. If you have a convertible, as I do, get your top down today. It's just like a really, really good day for, that, for all of that. Um, can we do me a favor? Can you do me a favor? Uh, can we do some? Do we have any Nazi music around? Nazi music? Yeah, you uh, might have to give me a, 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 a break to figure some of that out. Can you can you find the stuff that we were doing the other day? Oh, sure, sure. If you can line that up, let me know. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, Hitler. I thought that would be fun to have a conversation. Fun, you know, oxymoron uh, to talk about Hitler for a while. But um, as you may or may not know, um, uh, I'm sure you do by now. It made all the uh, the press that um, a, a family by the name of Campbells uh, went out into uh, Pennsylvania, in eastern Pennsylvania, and uh, they went to a supermarket, and they asked the supermarket to make a birthday cake for their child. Uh, and, of course, this is a wonderful thing that, uh, that the, we can do for, for you. And, you know, birthday cakes are fun for your family. And they wanted to have a, a three-year-old, their three-year-old, their son, uh, the name on the birthday cake and wishing him happy birthday. And, of course, the name of the son is Adolf Hitler Campbell. And I kind of tells you where these you know, people's brain come from. So uh, in honor of, um, of uh, third year anniversary of Adolf Hitler Campbell's existence on this planet with obviously moronic parents, um, we're going to play a little music for you. Uh, and uh, let's play the music first and then we'll tell you what happened. Well, I thought you'd enjoy that. You know, happy birthday, stuff like that. But anyway, here's the deal. Uh, the family went to ShopRite and uh, tried to get the birthday cake. And, of course, uh, ShopRite turned it down, uh, denied the request for the last two years, including a request for a swastika to be on the cake. So they've been trying this for years now? Yeah, these are really... Oh. Let me think the word we would use about these people. Let's think. What do you think? They can't say it on the radio, I wouldn't Well, think. I can say stupid. Yeah, you can, you can say that. You know, stupid is as stupid does. Anyway, uh, Karen uh, Melita a ShopRite uh, spokeswoman, said the store denied similar requests from the Campbells in the last two years, including a request for a swastika. Why do they keep trying? Uh, but, well, we just told you why, because they're stupid. Well, that's good. You point. know, they're dumb people. They're, they're really dumb people. You think Winn-Dixie would do it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. But they did go to Walmart, which I find amazing. And Walmart uh, says Walmart spokesman Anna Taylor told the Eastern Express Times, the big newspaper there, that the store won't put anything illegal or profane on a cake, but thinks it's important to respect the views of customers and employees. 
And she went on to say, our number one priority in decorating cakes is to serve the customer to the best of our ability, Taylor said from Bentonville, Arkansas. Now, I got to ask you a question, Alex. What do you think? And I want you to ask the people out there. 866 I didn't just realize we're super late for a break. Oh, we are. We get so distracted with this Hitler music. Well, when you come back, we're going to talk about Hitler and birthday cakes and happy birthday, uh, Campbell family. We'll be right back on 880 The Biz. You got to change your Welcome back. It's uh, just 14 minutes after the hour of 5 o'clock right here on the eastern side of the country. Uh, and on the phone with us right now is uh, James Lasky. Uh, you know, I meant to ask you, James, do you like to be called James or Jim? Uh, Jim is fine. Jim is fine. All right, there we have it. Uh, by the way, thanks for that music, uh, Alex. I, that, that's a good song. You, have you like feel, that, huh? You have to feel good I can tell you looked that. excited. I no, really it's a great tell. song. It just makes you feel good. It's sort of like listening to KC and the Sunshine Band. You have to yeah, feel good. Yeah, that's true. You know what yeah, I mean? I liked it. And, and Jim likes it up in uh, Chicago, and he's cold as hell right now. Oh, I hope I can warm him up a little bit. <laughs> Listen, welcome back to the show, Jim. I thought of you so quick the other day. I said, i got to get Lasky on here because this is turning out to be what a soap opera. Oh, my you know, God. It's Chicago and Illinois politics at its best. Well, yeah. You, have you got a cold? A little bit. So, all right, just a real quickie. Since my co- my son came down three nights ago and, and he beat the bad weather, what's the weather like in Chicago today? Oh, about a half an inch of ice, and then about five or six inches of snow on top of it. And I was outside this morning shoveling, and uh, you know, this is that's a young man's sport shoveling snow. Yeah, you don't do that. That's oh, a good idea to have a heart anyway, attack, Jim. It's about 28 degrees. We're gonna get another uh, blast of, of uh, snow tomorrow and Sunday, and uh, yeah, we're just gonna be uh, in the deep freeze after that. Then. So the planes flying? Uh, t- now they are. This okay. morning was bad. The schools were all shut down this morning, so my kids, their last day of school, they were. Terribly upset they didn't have to go to school today. You know. Yeah, I'm sure. You know. <laughs> well, all right. Um, well, Jim, Jim, yeah. Jim, tell yep, yep. me. Now, the governor, Governor Blago, uh, late today, uh, very late today, uh, announced that he's got, in fact, I thought he was singing a fight song from uh, Notre Dame. I will fight, I will fight, I will fight, 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 until I take my last breath. I have done nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is just terrific. Love his hair, by the way. Um, and I'm not going to quit my job. The people hired me to do because of false accusations and the political lynch mob. Wow, that's funny coming from him. Um, yeah, somebody who has a, a, an approval rating of about 4% right now. Yeah, so talk to me. You know, you're not shocked at all, obviously. This is like de rigueur in, uh, in Chicago and in, in Illinois. Well, I think we talked about it on the last show. We, I mean, you, I think you alluded to uh, Blagojevich. I said he's, he has problems, and I said, you know, only time will tell. And, uh, I mean, this is a guy who's, uh, whose father-in-law is an old-time Chicago politician, Alderman Dick Mel. And, uh, and in my book, uh, you know, his chief of staff, John Harris, was the budget director for uh, Mayor Daley. And then he went on to become uh, Blagojevich's chief of staff, and I had some dealings with John Harris. And, <laughs> and you know, John Harris was his chief of staff, so you, there's, I, could, I could see how things could happen. Let me just say this. Rod Blagojevich got elected governor and when he got elected governor you know uh what was it six seven years ago that because i i know somebody who was at his inauguration in the mansion governor's mansion that night he uh 
he was talking about not governing the state of Illinois, about running for president. Now, this is a guy who had this Kennedy-esque uh, vision, uh, and he, uh, at the moment he got into the the, uh, the mansion, he was thinking about running for president. And that's that's some of the problems he had because then he was flying off to California, flying off to New York, doing all kinds of different fundraising, and it all became, you know, a, a game for him to, to raise as much money as he could because he wanted to, you know, be a player to run for the for the presidency. And then he, you know, he deals with, you know, these businessmen like a Tony Resco, a Cellini, uh, Atta, you know, all these guys who have been, you know, uh, indicted now. And and these were, you know, these were power players who, you know, who became, who were in his inside circle, who promised things to people, contracts, you know, the pension funds, all this kind of stuff, you know, you know that my wife once told me the heads, the fish things from the head down, and 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 Blagojevich, you know, promised that he was going to do. The, do things differently when George Ryan left, and he did it the same way or, or, or worse because it was all about fundraising, it was all about money, it was all about power. And let me tell you this, at the end of the day, when this is all said and done, Rod Blagojevich will be going to prison. And the question is, is will he see his daughters graduate from college or even get married or will he you know, have a shorter sentence? Uh, but uh, Patrick Fitzgerald does this for a living. I mean, their conviction rate is about 98.9%. Uh, you know, he made a big splash. Trust me, because I dealt with these people. Oh, yeah. Trust me, they have a case. They wouldn't have done all this if they didn't have a case. Now, Blagojevich and his attorney, uh, Ed Jensen, can sing from now till doomsday about, you know, how it's a witch hunt and this and that, and they're going to fight and fight. Yeah, they're so also like, saying the wiretaps were illegal. Oh, I mean, they had me. They wiretapped me. And you know what? And I had this. And, you know, for, for three weeks I was indicted, and I had to go to court and, you know, be arraigned. And they stuck an, an ankle bracelet on me because they didn't want me to leave the house. Right. So I was, I was you know, for, for seven days I, I had to wear an ankle bracelet and report in and out, and I went to work. And I was defiant, and I was in the newspapers constantly saying, I'm going to keep fighting. This is all BS. And, uh, you know, and three weeks later... Uh, my uh, my attorney Jeff Steinbeck said, "Jim, you did a great job in politics, but guess what? It's over with, and you're going to prison. So the best thing we can do is resign from the office and show the feds and show the judge acceptance of responsibility, which is key, you know, to reducing your sentence. Right. The longer he drags this thing out, the longer he fights, the worse it's going to be for him. And I've I've told a number of media people already, he needs to put it, politics and his ego to the side." And think about his family, his two daughters and his wife. Because don't you know? Don't be surprised if you know uh, they start putting the pressure on him about his wife. Because she she did the real estate deal, some of them for Tony Resco. I know so, that, and of course that's tied into Obama. Right, but I'm just saying that you know the feds don't think the feds aren't putting this whole thing together. They delayed. They just delayed Resco sentencing. So obviously, you know they're. He's giving them information. Well, he's of, of course other, he's flipping, don't you think? Oh yeah, I, I think there's a number of and, and there's so many leads they're following, and now you hear the story about Congressman Jackson who said he was that he might have been working for the feds to to uh, to, to implicate uh, Blagojevich. Uh, I mean, it just gets crazier and crazier out here. Well, and, let uh, me ask you a question, Jim. Yeah. What 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 what's the uh, the grassroots? The people in what are the people in Chicago saying about this? Oh, they think it's horrible. Is is the his neighbors are, are, are ticked off, 
and they, you know, because here, here's the problem. Rod Blagojevich comes out, like I said, you know, eight years ago, seven, six, seven years ago, when, he was, when George Ryan uh, was having problems, and, 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 and Blagojevich is running for governor, and he says, I'm going to do things differently. And everybody, you know, had a lot of faith in him and said, this is a young guy who's going to be aggressive, he's going to reform, you know, Illinois politics. You know, as soon as he got down there, nobody got along with him. And, and, and uh, you know, and Speaker Mike Madigan uh, and, and, uh, and other leaders in the House and Senate just didn't get along with the guy. And he dumped his father-in-law, Dick Mel. They had a falling out. And it, it was just, it was a disaster from day one because, like I said, this guy had higher ambitions than being governor, and he didn't care about governing. He cared about, you know, raising money to run for president. So, um all right. Now, I'm going to go back to the FBI guy that we mentioned before. Is he the one that was on television a week or so ago when announcing the indictments? Oh, what's his name? Grant? Gant? Whoever. Who was the guy that was announcing it? Yeah, he's uh, head of the FBI in Chicago. He looked pretty good. <laughs> I mean, he came across very strong. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if Illinois isn't the top state for corruption, it's, it's, it's right up there, highly competitive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have more FBI agents in Chicago than anywhere else in the country. Well, what I liked about him, in, in, uh, whether we like FBI guys or not, but what I liked about him was that he, he totally controlled the media. I mean, nobody, nobody screwed around with him in this press conference. And if he didn't want to answer a question, boom, he shut him down. And that was the end of that question. Let's go to the next one. But I'm going to tell you this, though. Fitzgerald and the FBI were very, very ticked off about, you know, something that was, uh, you know, going to be planned by Blagojevich, because they just don't do that by going to somebody's house at 6 o'clock in the morning and putting you in cuffs and taking you away unless something was up. Now, one of my co-defendants in my case, uh, they they thought he was threatening the people who were in the wire against me, and they went to his house at 6 o'clock in the morning and cuffed him and took him downtown. Then they called my attorney and said, tell Lasky to be down here in the courtroom at 1.30 in the afternoon, or we're coming, we're going to come and get him. Uh, but they gave me the option at least to come down there. Well, that was very Oh, it, no, I'm just telling genteel. you, when these, people, when these people get ticked off, I mean, it is what it is, and they, they, there's, there's no holds barred. But the, the funny thing is, is it, was it last night or the night before, there's an attorney, a former attorney by the name of Robert Cooley. Now, Robert Cooley was an informant for the FBI about, oh, gosh, almost 20 years ago, and he brought down a lot of mob guys in Chicago including some aldermen who were allegedly tied up with the mob. Robert Cooley, at the t- when I, I met him 20 years ago, he handled my divorce. Now, Robert Cooley's in the witness protection program, or was in the witness protection program. He comes out two nights ago and says, I told the feds 20 years ago that Rod Blagojevich was a bag man, a bookie, and he, he had to pay a street tax to the mob. 20 years ago, he was taking bets. And the FBI confirmed it yesterday that, that Cooley did, in fact, tell, Rod, uh, tell them that Rod Blagojevich was... Uh, uh, working, uh, you know, as a bookie and, and, and my God, you know, with the mob. I mean, that's it's like Peyton Place here. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, you throw Jesse Jackson in the mix, you throw Barack Obama into the mix. You got Barack Obama's chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, who they're saying now uh, talked to some of uh, Blagojevich's people about, you know, who should be the next. Well, they said they have him on tape. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, and yet they're saying the Obama people are saying we had no direct contact. <laughs> I don't understand that. You know, again, it's you know, only time will tell again. But uh, Rami Manuel is another. He's his chief of staff, and he was the guy in 2002 that ran for Congress. And Daley put up the whole. Uh, you know, Daley had his whole army going for Rami Manuel, and, and Rami Manuel got nervous because there was higher truck money used. The same scandal that got me going. 
but I mean, it's just it, it's just one thing after another in Chicago and Illinois. I mean, it, you know, it's like the weather. You know, just stick around; it's going to change. You know, and and uh, uh, you know, it, it's 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 amazing because John Harris. And if, let me just give you an example. John Harris is chief of staff when he was the budget director for Daily. Uh, we had a meeting on, on my budget, and John Harris was in there, and I was in there, and you know, all our staffs and stuff. And then when the meeting was over, John Harris says to me, he says, uh, he says, Clerk, can I uh, talk to you in my office? So I went into his office, and I'll give you what he said to me, and then I'll translate it for you. <laughs> he said, Harris says to me, we were sitting there, just him and I, and he says, your friend called my friend, and we need to help your friend out. My friend was Speaker Mike Madigan, who needed some jobs from my office. Now, at the time, I had uh, like $60,000, two jobs, one was like 20 and one was 40. Madigan needed, as a speaker of the house, I wanted to help him out anyway. He needed a job for ninety and fifty, so I needed another like seventy, eighty thousand dollars. So he called Harris's friend, which is Robert Storage, who's now in prison uh, because he was the uh, the guy who was uh, charged with the fixing the tests, the hiring for Daly. So uh, so Storage told Harris, "Let's take care of Madigan for Lasky, and then Madigan's going to do something for Daly in Springfield." My point is, is that's how Chicago and Illinois politics work. They did some creative accounting, and guess what? Those two jobs that were twenty and forty, they changed to fifty and ninety. Cause, cause well, that that sounds like your book. You know, you you were somebody wanted to get a job for like eighty thousand dollars a year. I remember there in the in the three chapters on daily. It's in yeah. one of those chapters, right? And who are the two people that came to your office and just stunned you with their comments? It was a, was a female that, and a guy. That was that was Victor Reyes who still hasn't been charged or anything, but that was Daly's chief of staff at the time. Right. And then Sheila O'Grady, yes. who became Daly's chief of staff later on, and they came and read me the riot act from a, a handwritten note from Mayor Daly about if I if I keep pursuing change, trying to change things, right. that he's going to go after my authority and take it down to Springfield and, and remove my, uh, and, and go, you know, lobby with the state legislators to take away my uh, my authority to, to issue business licenses in the city of Chicago. Right, which was a big deal. Oh yeah, because we issue over a hundred thousand of those, and we generate millions and millions of dollars. Right. And and I was just trying to streamline things, try to do it better than the Department of Revenue was doing it. And Daly took offense to that, and uh, he threatened me. And uh, and then he started. He had his people call the, the state reps in Springfield to say, if there's going to be a battle down here, you have a choice: either you're going to back the mayor or you're going to back Lasky. So you better back Daly. So you know. But then it never came. To, I I backed down on that one. Yeah, I noticed. And uh, <laughs> but. That was about the only one I ever backed down on. So, so um, let me ask, why, why is the, 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 the highest court in Illinois rejecting hearing about this? I mean, that's what was in the paper the other day. Yeah, well, you know what? The, it, it really, if you think about it, though, it really is a legislative uh, issue. It's not a, it's, the courts interpret the law. I mean, uh, you know, they don't enact the laws. I mean, if, if, if it's something that needs to, I mean, the law is pretty clear right now. I mean, you know, he if he resigns, that's one thing. If they impeach him, which the House and the Senate have the authority to do, that's another thing. I don't know if the court anywhere in this country has ever done something like this in any kind of you know state. You can do recalls, you can have a referendum, right. a number of different things you can do. I don't know if, like I said, if ever a state supreme court, you know, did something like this in the country. I don't think so. So, all right. So, what's the next step? What do you think? This is starting like the this is like the Showtime um, uh, TV show Brotherhood. That's well, what this whole the, thing sounds like. Yeah. I mean, okay. really, you tell me the stuff that goes on in Chicago. I got oh. this is a why isn't this an HBO special? Oh, you know, every I, Sunday I, night. We can, well, 
Sopranos is off the air now, so maybe we can do something else. There should be, a, you know, last game, I'm telling you, you should do a show, Chicago. Oh, this has got great stuff. I haven't oh. had a show about Chicago in a long time. You know, people couldn't make this stuff up. I mean, it's that good. I mean, it's, it's you know, these are, these are like I said, made-for-TV movies or, you know, like I said, a series. Oh, absolutely. This is, I mean, I'm surprised they're not doing it. The last thing I saw about Chicago on HBO or Showtime was Mind of a Married Man. That was on HBO, and, about, and it took place at the uh, newspaper in Chicago. But, um, yeah. all right, so the next step, what do, what do, what do you think we're going to see next okay, happen with here's Blago? The here's, here's the next step. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting into the holidays. And I got one minute, so all go right, ahead. We're getting into the holidays. I think things are going to slow down a little bit, but the big bombshell is going to be, all we have is a criminal complaint against Blagojevich. Wait till Fitzgerald, which probably will be in the next week or two, will issue, they'll have the formal indictment with the different counts. That's going to be the next bombshell because that's going to be where you're going to be very specific and you're going to talk about, you know, uh, you know, if he's going to get charged with 10, 15, 20 counts, he's probably going to get charged with mail fraud, wire fraud, extortion, and, and who knows what else. That's going to be a big thing. But well, we look forward to that. You're going to be our correspondent. Listen, Jim, we're going to get you back in the next week or so. Yeah, fine. And uh, we'll promote you. Listen, uh, Jim Lasky's book, James Lasky, My Fall from Grace, City Hall to Prison Walls. Get a hold of that. How can they get this book again? Amazon.com or go to Borders or Barnes & Noble and you can order it through them. Uh, but uh, you can certainly go on, on, on the line right now and get to Amazon.com. That's where you got to do, folks. It's a good book for Christmas. And you know what? If we're going to be talking about Illinois for a while, you got to have this book. This is the textbook. Oh, yeah, because it, it talks about all the pl some of the players in it. All the players. Yeah. Look forward to you. James, stay well, Thanks. but don't talk to you the holiday. God bless. Have a great holiday. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, Jim. Bye-bye. This is this is great stuff, isn't it? Oh, this is amazing. I just love it. I want to get Jim back next week. I wish I could have this on the website he already. Ha it's he has to be good. our interpreter. We got to yeah. do the show in Chicago. Yeah, this That's is. What we do. It's also his theme song plan right now. Absolutely. Anyway, this is Rich Rothman along with Alex on uh, 880 The Biz on the Rich Rothman Show. Stay where you are. We've got uh, Pete Cohen coming back on the show in just five minutes. Stay there. This is the Rich Rothman Show. What do you do when you Welcome back to the show. It's uh, 34 minutes after the hour. No matter where you are, sort of like a Today thing with Dave Garraway. So if you're on the East Coast, it's 5 o'clock. If, uh, if you're next to Jim Lasky right now in Chicago... Then, uh, A, you're freezing and you shouldn't be yeah, there. <laughs> definitely not. Get out of there as quickly as you can. Get out of there as quickly Get as you can and join us. Oh, I could not take that kind of weather. It, it's even cold in Vegas. I'm telling it's you, it's crazy. Snowstorm in Snow Vegas. Storming I've in never Vegas. seen that. Yeah, I heard some people uh, talking about it, like people who were from there talking on the news or whatever. They hadn't seen snow like that in decades. Well, I don't know if they've seen snow, period, pretty decades, severe. to be honest with you. It yeah, pretty I mean, that's, wow. I mean, it very rarely snows there. That would be depressing if I went there and I don't have any warm clothing. Wow. Couldn't do that. Yeah, well, you'd have to stay uh, in the casinos all day and all night. Well, today's been an interesting day. One, I'm glad we had Jim Lasky talking about Chicago, uh, ex-city uh, clerk of Chicago, indicted, went to prison, got out of prison, knows a lot of the game players. Um, and it does sound like the Brotherhood to me in, in Illinois. Oh, my God. This, is, this has got to be an HBO or a Showtime special. You know, every Sunday night for. I think we uh, should talk to uh, Lori Wyman about uh, about Jim. Yeah, let's get Turn Lori Wyman. Let's get an, the yeah. Let's get the casting director for Dexter. Yeah, let's back get the here. two of them together. We'll get her next week. We'll get maybe her back. We can put in. a show on Showtime, maybe. Uh, terrific. I want to write the treatment for that. Anyway, Peter Cohen's on the phone. I hope right now. Peter, are you there, sir? Well, 
I'm here, but uh, we're getting about a foot of snow here. So. Oh, my God. It was awful last week for this guy. Well, I hate to tell you. What was it today, Alex, when you drove down from uh, Dania? Or about David? 80. 80 degrees. About 80, yeah. I know. My, my son's in from Chicago, and I said, how are you doing? He said, well, it's a, it's a little warm. I mean, that's almost too hot for me, though. I'd like a happy medium, maybe 65. <laughs> uh, I think that's perfect weather for me. Peter, you got to come down here. you got to come visit us. I would love to visit you guys. You know, because it's Especially been... this time of year. Oh, you know, this God. is our first snowstorm, so I'm... I'm kind of looking forward to going skiing, but I think I'll be sick of it in a, in a couple of weeks. So, so you, maybe you'll, but you'll, you'll probably have a white Christmas. Oh, yeah. So that'd be kind of nice. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funky down here when you have Christmas and it's 84 degrees, 85 degrees. It just doesn't yeah. feel right. Yeah, I, I don't know what people, uh, I guess people just say, well, at least I'm not freezing like everybody else in the cold. You just turn the air conditioning down in your house and give you that frosty feel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but listen, I've been thinking about you all day okay. because I know you have these incredibly strong opinions about the big three or maybe what's left of them, maybe the big two. Yes. And here uh, we just handed out or we're going to hand out, what, $17.4 billion. Uh, It's $13.4 billion uh, now and then possibly another $4 billion in February. Um, and... I'm I'm really uh, quite intrigued by this whole thing because one of the one of the funniest things about this whole deal is that um, at the end of March, if the uh, Chrysler and GM who are getting the money uh, can't uh, prove that they are uh, have a positive net present value, uh, then the government gets all the money back. Well, how are they going to get the money back? Uh, they just have a senior uh, position and they can just tell the companies just pay back the money. I don't even think they'll have it by then, though. They probably will have spent it. So. Well, that's a, that's my question. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, now listen to me, buddy. I'm giving you this buck. You see, that all these bucks are coming to you, yep. and if you blow it, you don't have a plan. You're gonna give them back. Well, uh, that's, that doesn't work for my children. <laughs> I can tell you that. I, you know, something. I think that's a, a very good point. I don't know uh, how they're going to make sure that they have enough money at the end of March to pay it back. Uh, but the, here's here's the funny thing: is to, to hear. Uh, uh, President Bush talking about net present value. I mean, that's a that's a concept that I teach in uh, in uh, in business school. And uh, you know, even though George W. Bush went to business school, I don't think he really learned too much about business there. And um, anyway, the point is that net present value means that um, the government or whoever lends, you know, whoever would put the money to them, is going to get the loan back plus uh, uh, an additional amount of money to compensate for. Uh, the time value of money, the risk, um, and and so on. So that implies that if they give them $13.5 billion or $17.5 billion, that at the end of March they're going to have a plan to, to repay that $17.5 $17 billion plus extra money, uh, and it's going to have to be uh, really solid. Uh, the plan has to be really solid, or the government takes all the money back. Um, but first of all, you're right, because who knows – if they'll actually have that money to pay back. Or well, of course they're not going to have the money. Bankruptcy at the end of that time. I mean, they said that if they didn't get the money within the next few weeks, they were going to default on the uh, bills that were coming due in the first or second week in January. And yeah. that, I thought that was about, about a $2 billion or $3 billion bill that was coming due. Yeah, they. Uh, I think uh, in the, in the uh, third quarter, GM uh, burned through about $3.5 billion. That's right. Since 2004, it's lost $72 billion. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that giving them the money without getting rid of the CEO of GM and the CEO of Chrysler uh, is, you know, really uh, not too smart because that guy has been running the company since 2000, and it's gone down, 
the stock has lost 95% of its value. And as I mentioned, since 2004, it's lost $72 billion. I mean, I don't think that's really good management. And you're giving this guy uh, more money, uh, and he says we're going to execute our GM plan, whatever that means. And I'm looking at the details of this thing, uh, and they're, for, they're going to force uh, the unions to take a, a wage cut so that they are uh, at the same level as the Japanese workers in the U.S., they're going to force uh, a conversion of, of debt to equity. Um, and, you know, I think about if they actually followed all this stuff, um, is that really going to make the business uh, cash flow positive? Um, and I feel like they're really missing the boat because um, what really needs to happen for this company to be viable over the long term is that they have to offer cars that American citizens want to buy more than they'd want to buy the Toyotas and the right. Nissans. Right. And and none of that is addressed in this plan. Well, not, not only that, if you look at all the, the material that comes out regarding GM, put the other side for a second, GM doesn't have what, what I would consider to be the types of cars that we really need going forward. And, and when I look at the Ford lineup, and, and we've just had uh, the head of marketing for Ford was on the show yesterday mm. for all the new divisions, that are, the new cars that are coming out. I had the head of... Um, uh, the uh, the new engines, uh, uh, the, uh, the R&D person, that is, for the new engines, on the show last week from Ford. They seem to be moving down a different road than General Motors, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and well, it looks like even, they have the product. They're not getting any of the money. Ford is not taking any of the money because right. they're in better financial shape, which is, which is great. I'm very pleased about that. I think that's fantastic. See, that's why I was upset that Malali, when he was sitting there with the other two guys, that he took the same hit of the other you know, the, the rest of the group, his, his, his peer, so to speak. But yeah. he's not a peer to those guys because he did some smart things when he came in. You know, that's his Boeing background, I guess. There's our Boeing connection. Yeah, uh, he, he, definitely, he definitely has put them in a different category, and I'm, I'm really glad because uh, that means that there's one viable U.S. auto company, hopefully. Um, but, you know, the other thing is uh, that uh, whatever plan they come up with in March – um, you know, I don't know how quickly the demand overall in the industry is deteriorating, but I remember looking at the sales figures for I guess it was November, and they were, you know, down 30 to 40 percent. I mean, if this, if they continue to be down 30, 40 percent, uh, then whatever they were thinking their business plan was going to look like in 2009 or 2010, um, you know, make it take take away, uh, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 percent more sales than you thought just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, so I guess the reason I'm saying all this is because I'm really glad that Ford is not part of this uh, this bailout process and that they feel that they don't need it. Um, but I hope they can continue to be in that position uh, if the industry continues to, to shrink. And I hope the products that they're working on now help them to gain some market share uh, and and to be able to uh, to remain viable. Well, I was listening to some of the folks on Ford this morning, and, and it, one comment they did say that addressed what you just in, indicated, and that is if the market continues to drop precipitously the way it has, uh, you know, 25, 30% drops, mm-hmm. they're in trouble. I would, you know, I would think so. I mean, I just, I mean, it's such, I, I you know, don't follow these figures. Uh, I've been following them closely for the last, year, you know, several years, but my, my impression is that a 30% drop or a 40% drop is really uh, unusual. And, and well, basically what it boils down to is if you just look across the entire economy, um, what's, what's really going on in a big picture sense is that we were getting by um, for the last seven or eight years on people having declining incomes by being able to borrow. 
and that borrowing evaporated, which means that all the prices are too high. Um, and people can't, you know, it's, hard, it's even hard to borrow to buy a car. So uh, I think that's a lot, that's behind a lot of the drop in, in demand is, is the inability to get financing. Well, um, ah, now that's, that's, you just went right to the point I want to discuss for a second. The only way I can see them turning this around, aside from that, let's assume that they have cars that people want, or let's assume they come to a price point that people will buy. But if you can't finance the car, what good does that do? It, it doesn't do it unless the price is so low that people don't need to borrow money uh, to not, buy it. Not going to happen. I don't. Th- I can't see that happening. People are not going to go out and they have very little cake in their pocket. They have very little cash to do this. We're such a debtor nation right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And what, I, what I'm suggesting to you is that we're, there's, there's a real fear that I have. Maybe part of, part of me thinks it's a good idea long term, but short term it's incredibly painful, is that um, you know, we've, been, we've been living uh, beyond our means. Absolutely. And in order to make this work without borrowing, we need to have prices come down enough so that people don't need to borrow money uh, to to buy stuff like cars and houses uh, that otherwise they they could not afford without the borrowing. So, I really think that that is a fundamental question as to whether we're going to be able to people are going to be able to borrow money again. And if they don't, then then the demand is going to continue to plummet at that rate. I'm afraid. So, the, the, so really, for survival, it's not just a question, I guess, of giving the billions of dollars or loaning it to the big three. It's also a question of when when can the rest of the economy kick in. You know, if you if you're doing this is almost like a startup for God's sakes, the way the way that it's being approached, and a startup doesn't go cash positive for quite a while. So I don't I don't see how these guys can go, particularly GM and Chrysler, maybe Ford can, but how GM and Chrysler can go cash positive in what? I mean, how fast do they have to do this? This is like almost overnight. Well, the the I was reading an article which basically said that in order for them to pay back the in order for them to, to say that this is a net positive net present value at the end of March, they need to cut $13.5 billion of costs. Uh, and I uh, wow. had a, a plan that I've, I might have talked about on your show before, sort of a six-point restructuring plan for GM and Chrysler that would cut $16 billion out. Um, so, well, that was combining them. Yeah, so that that's a, that was a part of it, and, and frankly, I don't see why that was that's excluded as a possibility at this point. But in any case, you know, it involved it involved ex, it involved combining GM and Chrysler. It involved uh, getting rid of uh, a lot of unprofitable product lines like Pontiac. Right. Um, it involved cutting dealers that sell those unprofitable lines. It involved uh, cuts in in pay and, and bonuses for the workers. Um, and it also involved replacing uh, management. Um, so, you know, there, there was a bunch of, uh, of items in there, and, and it added up to about $16 billion in cost savings. Um, and uh, I don't I – mean, obviously, replacing management isn't going to save costs, but, the, but these, other, these other big ticket things w- w- would, would save costs. Um, so if they could come up with a plan uh, like that uh, and actually execute it um, – you know, a lot of it between now and the end of March, uh, then I think, uh, you know, it, it might be, uh, it might be credible. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, the issue of coming up with products that people want to buy is clearly something that isn't going to happen by the end of March. I mean, it, it's going it, to, unfortunately, it'll take years for GM and, and Chrysler to come up with a line of products that's actually more compelling than what, you know, Toyota and, and, and Nissan and Ford uh, are, are offering. And I agree with you on that. And I see, I don't see it happening right away. I, I, it's a, it's a multi-year deal to yes. to take a company and turn it around. 
But the and, key thing is that if they can cut costs enough, and uh, my my concern is that you know a thirteen and a half billion dollar cost cut is very hard, and it also kind of must assume some kind of leveling off of of the decline in sales. Precisely. I mean that that's the wild hair in this whole thing. Yes. You know that's the wild hair. Well, let I want to go back to this turnaround. And this is my segue to your book, which is going to come out next month, right? Uh, January 5th, yes. Hey, there you have it. So we're going to talk about it. Thank you. Now, um, you wrote the book, You Can't, this is what, your ninth book? This is like your 40th book, the way you are. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually my eighth book. But All right, your eighth book. Well, I'm anticipating your ninth book, because I know any working, day I'm now. I'm working it, on my ninth book now. In, in fact, I have to get off the air, because we expect another phone call from you immediately <laughs> uh, talking about your next book. So the name of the book is You Can't Order Change. This is a really apropos title, by the way. Lesson from Jim uh, McNerney's uh, Turnaround at Boeing. So maybe let's talk an analogy for a second. Let's do a little Miller's analogies here. Okay. Boeing, Boeing's turnaround versus the auto industry's turnaround, or if you want to segment that, take it into GM or Chrysler. Yes. Is there something that we can learn from this? And is there something that McNally's uh, doing right that these other guys aren't? Um. McNerney took McNerney, over. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, uh, McNerney took over uh, Boeing, and it, and it really faced one in, enormous immediate problem, which was an ethics problem. Um, and uh, he handled that. Br- he handled that brilliantly. Um, and uh, I, actually, I, I could go into it, but I, I'm not sure that's really the problem with with GM and Chrysler. Right. No, exactly. Um, I mean, I think. I think uh, when he came to to Boeing, uh, it was it was a profitable company. Um, it had a, uh, a a backlog of orders. It was growing for the 787, um, which uh, has now hit uh, over 900 units uh, being ordered, which is just is a record backlog. They have a overall co- corporate wide. They have a backlog of 325 billion. Uh, they are doing uh, fantastically uh, well from the standpoint of having a lot of demand um, but you know they've had problems uh, which have been well publicized of, of delays in, in uh, being able to manufacture and meet their schedule uh, and also uh, they had some uh, some strikes um, neither of which are relevant to to GM and Chrysler uh, in terms of those being uh, the, the same kind of problems um, however uh, there is something that he did um, which uh, an outsider can do uh, coming into a new company which is why one of the reasons why I think it would be so great to have an outsider come in and take over uh, GM and Chrysler when uh, you know merge them and then let it, let an outsider come in is because an outsider can look at the company in a different way, and and uh, this is one of the things that McNerney did, which was very different and a really uh, fantastic uh, move at, at Boeing, um, was that he came into a company which had very much of a command and control style of management. Um, which basically means, and this is a company with with 100,000 plus employees, and you know, of course, GM and Chrysler employ th- hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and what a command and control style a CEO does is basically what you sort of imagine in your, you know, your kind of preconceived ideas of what a big company CEO does. They sit around and issue orders, and they want people to carry out the orders. And they don't want them to talk back. They don't want them to debate ideas. They just want people to 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 carry out what they order them to do. Uh, and that was the environment that he came into at Boeing. And what he did when he, he entered was, look, he said, look, you people know much more about the industry than I do. Um, my job here is to get the most out of you and to make you more productive, and we're going to, uh, we're going to debate policies 
uh, and we're going to make decisions and we're going to execute those decisions, but it's not going to be me ordering you what to do. We're going to tap into the, the, the minds of all the smart people in this organization. Uh, and to me, that is the, the closest analogy between what he did uh, at Boeing and uh, what needs to be done at, at the GM Chrysler is to have a fresh uh, approach come in there and really tap into the to the to the talent of that organization. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm really thinking that one of the biggest problems they had is not so much that they don't have talent, but that the management has misallocated the talent, uh, and that it really needs a fresh approach. And I think you know that is a key thing that is analogous between uh, GM Chrysler and and Boeing. What McNerney did there. Yeah, and maybe that's what McNa- uh, McNa- McNerney. I don't mean him. I mean the guy at Ford. I just been. Oh, oh Malali. Yeah, yeah Malali. Malali, who used to work for McNerney. Before. Right. That's my point. Yeah. He came into the Ford company, and if you look what they've done in the last year or so, they're really going off on a different tangent from where they were. Yeah, uh, I mean it, this is this is a great thing about having a really capable uh, person go into a, an or, an organization as a new person who can really just you know look at things as an outsider. Uh, and yet work with the people that are there and get them to figure out what needs to be done and change. And well, that, that's, that's what you that. just said, is very important. It, 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 when you come in, and a lot of people want to come in and, and get rid of everybody and bring new people in, but then you have this curve, this learning curve process that takes a while before these synergies develop between this division and that division, and they understand the psychology of how the company is going to run under its mission statement. So if you can, I think you're very right. If if a, a third party comes in, he's not tainted or she's not tainted by any of the preconceived ideas. But this is a very smart CEO, chairman, person, level, level person. They can then see where the talent is. And you're right. You can tap into the the pool of talent that you've got, and your and your your turnaround time is is uh, you know you eclipse the turnaround time. And you know something? It's not it's not easy for an outsider. To step in and succeed, and a company uh, like uh, Boeing, which uh, you know is basically the only uh, airline company in the U.S. and one of two, the two largest in the world. I mean, it's a very insular company, um, and GM is the same way. So it's very hard for someone to come in as an outsider and actually avoid being kind of isolated by the by the people who have been there and kind of shoved out. I mean, you really have to have to work hard to be uh, to be accepted by the people there and and achieve uh, change. Um, and so it's not a, it's not a cakewalk. Just because you're an outsider doesn't mean you're going to come in there and get the respect of the people in the organization. You have to earn it. Um, and you have to earn it, I think, by treating them with respect. I mean, for example, McNerney could have gone into Boeing, and he was he was from GE. He had spent 19 years at GE. He could have gone into Boeing and, and brought in all his cronies from GE to run the different parts of Boeing, and that would have alienated him from the rest of the organization. But what he did was he, he kept uh, just about everybody who was there before, um, and one of the people that he kept actually was Malali, who's now at Ford. And Malali stayed uh, at uh, at Boeing for over a year after McNerney got there, even though you know he probably felt he was being passed over for the CEO job uh, because um, he really respected McNerney and he really liked Boeing. But when the opportunity came along to be the CEO of a company like Ford, uh, Malali said, "Well, this is my last chance to be CEO of something, so I'm going to grab it." But um, the point is that. Um, McNerney was able to establish uh, good relationships with the, the executives there and, and, and get the most out of them. And uh, I think, 
you know, when you have this command and control style of management, what you do is you, you belittle everybody around you, and yet you've got all these executives and managers who are getting paid lots of money and are very bright, but they're not using all their ability because the CEO is squelching them because, you know, the CEO always has to be right and everybody has to follow that person's orders. That's right, and then they're out looking with their resumes. <laughs> you know, yes. They're calling up the headhunters. Well, listen, we're out of time, and um, I want to thank you for being on the show, Peter. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much. But, I enjoyed uh, it. Um, we'll talk to you about it next. We'll email you and tell you what's going on with the holidays and stuff. I want to wish you a very happy holiday. Same to you. Peter, stay well pleasure. and stay warm. Come and visit us. Okay. All right, Thank take you. care. Bye. Bye. Alex. Alex. Yes. The end of the show, huh? Already. The uh, end of the week. End of the week. Almost the end of the year. Almost the end of the year. Well, listen, we're lucky. I'm to 80 degrees here, and this guy has got a f- 28 inches of snow or something. Whoops, sorry. Hey, there we go. I mean, we're, we're very fortunate that we're living in South Florida right now, I have to say. Well, listen, you guys have a wonderful weekend. Uh, glad to be with you on 880 The Biz. This is Rich Rothman and uh, Alex. Say you have a good weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Take care of yourself. Drive careful now. We'll be back next week. I'm new wave, but I'm old school, and my inner child is outward bound. I'm a hot-wired, heat-seeking, warm-hearted, cool customer, voice-activated and biodegradable. For more of the good, the bad. I interface with my database. My database is in cyberspace. The business. So I'm interactive, I'm hyperactive, and from time to time, I'm radioactive. This is The Rich Rothman Show, 880 AM, The Biz.